Since April of 2020, the international HR firm LifeWorks, which is formerly Morneau Chappelle, has been measuring the mental health of Canadians and releasing a monthly report called the Mental Health Index. The report for May came out at the end of last week, showing a continuing increase in depression, anxiety, and isolation. And it also found that many Canadians are drinking more and there is a higher rate of drug use. Paula Allen is Senior Vice President Research and Total Wellbeing at LifeWorks. Hi, Paula. Hello, how are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, you've been reporting on Mental Health Index, I believe, since 2017. Yes, we actually started the development of the Mental Health Index in 2017. Uh, so the reason why we did that is because there was a big gap in information. Uh, we probably heard the term, you can't manage what you can't measure. And there really wasn't a clear measure that helped people understand the mental health of working into individuals. So we, we set about to develop this index and we were collecting benchmark information between 2017 and 2019 and refining our approach and launched in April of 2020. Is part of the decision to move to LifeWorks, which is the focus on health and well-being, is part of it because of the pandemic and really the change and decline that we've seen in mental health? And so you're seeing that uh, obviously a, a larger need from a business perspective in understanding and being able to offer packages to um, employees who are who are really seeing a major decline. Without question, I mean, over the, the mental health, total well-being, uh, all of these factors have been critical forever in terms of quality of life, work productivity, participation in the economy. And sometimes it does take these crises to have us realize how important it truly is. So what's happened over the last little while as a result of the pandemic is number one, we have more of a critical awareness that nothing will work well in our society if we don't take care of the overall well-being of people, but also very unfortunately that well-being has been significantly compromised in particular mental well-being. I wanna start with an overview of 2021. So um, when I when I looked at the the numbers going up and down, December twenty sorry December twenty twenty, which we went into uh, in Ontario at least into a lockdown, and the mental health measure was the worst it's been, or actually worse I think than the when the pandemic started. Were we seeing just losing our total optimism and 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 sense that things would get better in December when these lockdowns started to happen again. I know from my perspective, when I finally did get to stage two, which I didn't believe in for the longest time, and then we got through that and I thought, oh, okay, we're, you know, we're on the, on the way to recovery. And then in December, there was just a huge drop. Yeah, there was a number of things uh, contributed to that. Uh, first of all, the decline in mental health as a result of the pandemic and the, the stay-at-home orders and all of that, as necessary as they were, they, they present triggers. You know, the, the change, the, the extent of the change, personal work, relationships, all of that, you know, a human mind doesn't like change. Even when it's positive, we find it stressful. Uh, the amount of uncertainty that we had, the lack of sense of control, 
Uh, isolation is a huge factor. So this has been something that our society had been suffering from increasingly even prior to the pandemic and it increased a fair bit. And, and again, isolation, just generally speaking, is a trigger for mental health issues, physical health issues, and in particular, certain types of issues such as eating disorders, substance abuse uh, concerns, all of those things. And we were in a state of isolation. So that is really what accounted for the decline. And by the time we got to, to December, we had another factor, which was how long the situation had been going on. That itself is a risk factor. The fact that these unusual strains have been lasting for such a long time, that actually impacts us in another way. It makes it more difficult for us to rebound. It drains our energy. And, and as you said, our optimism gets compromised as well. A lot of people, um, I'm going to just talk about sort of, you know, it did get better over, over the winter. Um, but a lot of people I know kind of hit a wall in February. And I think that that's what you're saying. Like our optimism just, we, we, we couldn't take it anymore. And we knew that we weren't near the end yet because vaccinations had started and they, the number of vaccines in Canada was quite low to, to begin with. And sometimes I think, because I'm obviously I'm not going out, sometimes I think I'll never get to the point again where my social and business life is what it was pre-pandemic, that I'll be less likely to go out and do things because I'm, in my brain, I've just become so used to, to staying at home. Over the winter, we, we did see not a huge increase, but just like step by step until this new report, which shows April, May versus April. And there was a fairly significant decline in people's mental health and well-being from April to May. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, um, the way we're understanding that is we, we went through this initial crisis. We had this long period where, where our energy is depleted. It's, you know, we're, we're feeling that lack of optimism and we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And now a new set of anxieties are in our lives because we're going through another phase. So you can't pick up any media without people talking about what return to work is going to look like, what, you know, how are things going to be in this next phase? And I think, you know, even, even though you can think of that as being positive, because we should be going back to a situation where we have more control over our time and our daily experiences, it is yet another change. It is yet another period of uncertainty. So not exactly the same as what we experienced in March and April of 2020, but your mind still, you know, the human mind, regardless of the source of change, regardless of the reason for uncertainty, doesn't like that. So we are entering a period of high stress. Yeah, it's funny, even though we should be getting more optimistic, I think there's this little voice in our head that says, yeah, but... You know, we've had this before, so do I really believe it? The focus that you put on uh, sorry, mental health and the effect that alcohol and substance abuse has had on mental health is, I don't think anybody would be surprised that it's, uh, you know, there is a decline in your mental health as, you know, if there's an increase or what the increase is in alcohol or substance use. Um if I said abuse before, I'm sorry, I, I did mean use. 
And it kind of divided when I saw it into parents versus non-parents, whether you were, oh, sorry, income level. So interestingly, people who had more money drank more, found that really interesting. But the highest number was in post-secondary students. And that really surprised me. What What's the reason for that? Because that was optimism, alcohol use, drug use, and it, it was almost across the board that post-secondary students were, and the number was, the the, the difference in um, mental health score was really significant. Yeah, I think that, you know, highlighting that is one of the key values of the mental health index, because um, we, we really can see more vulnerable populations right from the very beginning. We saw that there was a crisis situation with post-secondary students. Uh, and we know that this is a vulnerable time anyway. We know that it's a time of high strain and high vulnerability to mental health issues. Many, many times that they emerge during that period of time, that early 20s period of time. Uh, so we know that. And but we 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 also know that one of the things that is the most helpful in terms of mental well-being is social support, in particular in that age, the support of your peers. So we, we had a situation during the pandemic where we have a, a group that is vulnerable to begin with. We had change that actually took away a lot of their mechanism of support. We also know that finances is a big driver of mental health and well-being. And when you look at the types of jobs that were most significantly impacted, that, that actually disappeared, retail uh, accommodation services, uh, restaurant, that's where you find post-secondary students. So we found that they were in crisis throughout this pandemic and their mental health really didn't improve even at any period of time. So it was very unfortunately not a surprise when we saw that this coping mechanism, this you know healthy coping mechanism in terms of the overuse of substances was more profound in this group as well. So now we have a mental health issue and we have a substance issue in this group uh, coexisting. So definitely a group to, to pay a lot of attention to and provide a lot of support to. Are they also seeing, is there also fear because uh, the younger generation demographic, sort of 40 and younger, don't see themselves as ever owning a house? They see their income increasing, but their ability to purchase a house almost decreasing because the housing market is is so high and there's no ability right now for for savings. And I'm guessing that that plays a role in in the mental health score. Yeah, well, to that point, uh, what we have seen is that the older one is, uh, the better mental health scores have been through this pandemic. Um, and for a number of reasons. So you mentioned, you know, how exciting it is in the, you know, to, to you know, you're going away from home, you're, you're starting your academic career, or, you know, you're a little bit older and you're starting your new job. So all of those things are great and exciting. But remember what I said before about change and uncertainty, they're bringing a lot of change and they're bringing a lot of uncertainty. And that's part of it. Um, the other thing is that when you are a little bit older, you have more cushion. 
you know, you've got your reputation at work, you've built up a number of transferable skills, you know how to navigate things, um, and you also have a financial cushion. So you might have been established in your home or at least have some emergency savings. And the younger you are, the less you have those things. And those things are material when it comes to mental health and well-being as well. There's some practical things around one's life you know, home, housing security, food security, uh, social uh, support, uh, all of those things. If they're more vulnerable, then you are more vulnerable as well. The parents versus non-parents. That was also a fairly significant um, differences. All right. Well, again, throughout the pandemic, we've seen the parents have been more vulnerable. It, it is interesting. Uh, so um, I mentioned a couple of things. So the, the groups that stood out in terms of lower mental health scores are also the groups that where we saw the increase in substance use through the, this pandemic. So post-secondary students versus non-post-secondary uh, student adults um, and um, parents versus non-parents because the mental health scores of parents have been consistently lower uh, than non-parents. And, and the reasons for that are multifold. Um, when you're, I mean, as wonderful as having children is, your joy can double or triple, you know, based on, you know, having, having a child in your life and seeing what's happening in their lives. But your sorrow can as well, your anxiety can as well, because parents take that on. They observe what's happening in their children. They feel that empathy. They have responsibility. And when we actually ask parents what they're one of their biggest stress, Swifters were. It wasn't, you know, the balancing of school and, and, and home. That was huge. That was absolutely huge, that, that practical stretch and, and tension. But the number one concern was concern for the mental health of their children. And we've seen, you know, a doubling of emergency uh, admissions in children's hospitals for mental health issues. We've seen astronomical in, uh, increases in substance abuse of children of all ages, um, sorry, eating disorders of children's, uh, children of all ages. We've seen, you know, that, that real stress in the lives of parents is absolutely undeniable. I think, I think the un unfortunate thing is that, you know, a lot of parents are not feeling that they have the support to manage what is in front of them. We've heard that as well. They're not feeling the support to manage the practical challenges. They're not necessarily feeling the support to understand and deal with the mental health issues that they're seeing with their children. Uh, they're not getting the, the kind of social support that they used to have in normal times and, and, and typical outlets for them and their families and are, are turning to uh, substance in unhealthy ways. If we, if we go to income, and, and again, this really interested me, when you look at uh, substance abuse and uh, consumption of alcohol in, at the income level, the, the lower the income, it seemed the less change there was in their in their uh, drinking or use of cannabis or other drugs than the really high level. So so over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, they were drinking 15 drinks a week. When you got down to that lower income, they were drinking much less. And but the the effect on their mental health was higher, I believe, in the lower income level, fewer uh, drinks or a, a smaller increase in substance use 
than the people who were at that higher income. Mm-hmm. And when when understanding that, you have to think of the context. Uh, people on the lower income level through this pandemic had also been the most vulnerable in terms of loss of employment. Uh, they had been most vulnerable from, from a number of, of, of points of view. So it, it, it's, if you have your choice to change, um, and I, not, I, would, I don't want to say choice, but um, to have a culture where you would, you spend your money on something other than the absolute essentials, food and, 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 and rent, you're suffering, you're suffering more, but you, you're, going to, you're going to experience that in terms of your behavior in a way that's more available to you. We've seen people with higher income very easily be able to just sort of add that extra drink uh, that they were or having before and have another drink with dinner, um, have a drink in the, in the middle of, of the day. It wasn't anything that they needed to think about. And I actually very unfortunately, uh, many of us have observed that the early part of the pandemic, there tended to be a bit of culture that encouraged you might recall people were having, you know, video conference happy hours. Yes. Uh, yeah. You might have uh, heard that, you know, people were getting together and, you know, just making jokes about, you know, being able to and wanting to and quote unquote needing to have that extra glass of wine. So, you know, that was being encouraged. And if you don't have to think about it and necessarily sacrifice something else, you're going to be taken a little bit further along that path. Yeah, I think that um, especially during the daytime, so depression and anxiety declined the most, or sorry, depression and anxiety increased the most, so uh, a larger um, effect and decline on mental health. But number three was work productivity. Mm-hmm. And Correct. the number of people and the, the frequency which people were saying alcohol has caused an increase in the number of times or the number of days that I'm calling in kind of sick and saying I can't work. Is that, I mean, there seems to be a direct correlation between between that and drinking. Um, isolation we've talked about and optimism. Going forward from now, we're, we're I think over 70% or even 75% of Canadians have at least had one vaccine. We're getting our second vaccines much earlier than we thought. I mean, I was booked for for August 25th and I'm getting mine on July 9th. So we're getting our second vaccines much earlier than we thought. Do you have some optimism, I guess is the question. Do you have some optimism that the our mental health will start to improve as we get more vaccines and as the numbers of COVID cases hopefully continue to decline? My optimism is cautious optimism, <laughs> um, and I and I think I I think I have um, I have the advantage of being uh, in a role where I look at this on a pretty consistent basis. The things that will make a difference. Um, I think we need to be aware that as things are opening up, we are in a period of risk. This change that we're going through, the reopening and defining what our new normal will be, you know, uh, we even know that with the vaccines, 
the risk in terms of the pandemic is not going away completely. So it's not like a, a switch is being flipped, but we're not even sure of the level of risk or how that will impact us. Will we have another wave with a completely uh, uh, yeah, very different variant or, or will we just have to continue to make some uh, very cautious uh, decisions and changes in our behavior? So we know that we are in a period of risk. We've seen this as well. We've already started to see some of the signs um, from the research from other exceptional academics where you know, there's a, a, a real traumatization of the population. And in some cases, people who are at high risk or were before the, the crisis, you know, they go into full-on crisis. People who are at moderate risk become higher risk, but even people who have enjoyed really good mental health for their entire lives are more on edge. So you don't go through something like this without actually it impacting you. The one thing that I'm very hopeful for though is that we are talking about mental health and we are building awareness of mental health and the mental health providers in private and public, uh, public services are really seeing the fact that we are going to have significant need over the next while. It's not gonna drop. So what I'm hoping is that we will over respond to this risk and hopefully in, in the longer term be in a better position as a society as a result of it. I think that, well, I hope that as well. I hope that people remember and continue to keep pressure on governments. And I hope that governments remember going forward that, hey, there was a problem and we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again and we need to get that under control now. So, Yes, we're all worrying about change. I worry about about change, even though my um, employment situation didn't really change that much because I'm I'm I have a small business and it's a home based business. Um, but interestingly, I saw an article in the Globe and Mail that said more and more people want to go back to work and they want to go to the office. So businesses that were thinking they were going to have to sublet parts of their space because they were going to have all this extra space are not doing that anymore. And we've gone from this, oh, this is fantastic. I get to work from home to, hey, I don't like this very much. I want to go back to the office. And are you expecting, I mean, is, is that sort of an expected thing that, that we would be experiencing now because we're 10 and, or sorry, a year and a half into a situation where we couldn't leave our house and now we're kind of thinking, yeah, this working from home isn't so great. Uh, I think what, what's happened over the pandemic is we've realized how the workforce isn't really the workforce. There are a lot of individuals with individual situations and preferences and needs and challenges and very, very unique uh, uh, desires. And, and I think the one thing that is constant is that, that people, individuals need to feel a sense of control. You know, that what employers really need to listen to is that that sense of control was largely taken away. We were told to work from home. We were told to do X, we, we adjusted to it. And being told again, doesn't feel good. It actually feels better if it is a conversation about what should happen. And we are finding many people want to come back. Some people want to stay home. Some people want to mix. I think overall, the other thing that we know about what's healthy for human beings is variety. 
if you're in one situation, if you're doing one thing, if your mind is attuned to one thing all the time and you don't have a variety of experiences in your life, uh, then that tends to not be as healthy as it should be. So if you have that ability to have variety, fun, challenge, communication, social support, uh, all of those things and get that in a work from home situation, then you're probably good. Paula, I'm going to get back in touch with you in the fall when we've gone through a summer and hopefully we are in a good situation and see if the that that change and and hopefully moving beyond COVID, we see and I hope a large improvement in people's uh, mental health and sense of well-being. Yes, I would love to have that conversation.